Welcome to yet another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. I say yet another episode, but this is actually our first episode of the season. So welcome to We Ain't Got No Podcast season two, I suppose. We are now in hmm. 2020-21. My name is Ram Srinivas, and with me, just like last season, is Mr. Jimmy Funnel. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Ram. Uh, yeah, we've been a bit uh, bit inactive, and it's yes. great to talk about football again. Have both <laughs> had a lot of stuff on our plates. Yes, we and, have. Yeah. But now, international break, great time to talk about some footy. Yeah, um, no, really no time like the international break. I mean, obviously, there are uh, League One games going on today, which I like a lot, of course, but... It is uh, it is time we talk about Chelsea. So yeah, new season, new mic. Here we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no one can say anything about that in the comment section anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, Great for mic. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so looking back at the four games that Chelsea has played so far, we've had two wins, one draw, one loss. So a fairly equitable distribution, but. In terms of in terms of how things have generally played out, if if I if I told you we had two wins, one draw and one loss from our first four fixtures, mm. would you have taken it at the start? Oh, I think it's generally speaking, it, it's been a very uh, up and down start to the season. Um, it rationally speaking, everyone should have been well aware that this is going to take some time, that we're going to have to wait till the team gels together. We've had some injuries to our best players and, or some of our best players, especially on the wing. So uh, the service up front has often been lacking those balls that a team of earner feeds off, really feeds off that made him so lethal last season. And so it's a bit difficult to evaluate how good have we really been? Have we lived up to our potential? Of course, rival fans are taking the mickey. Fine. I think we yeah. do the same uh, in their end, but we have the luxury of having had such great signings. I mean, this win has been fantastic, uh, which ended the other week. And um, yeah, I mean, if we level our expectations and say, you know, mm-hmm. we have to give it some time and I'm not, I'm not having this this stupidity of, uh, you know, start of the season, okay, now Frank Lampard's really going to be evaluated. Now it all counts. If he doesn't win anything at the end, get rid of him like some fans on Twitter have been. That's ridiculous, you know. He's that's got a big question, men. isn't it, actually? I mean... It is, but I, I just can't see why you would immediately say, yeah, now it really counts because it still takes time to gel. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, generally speaking, as I said, I, I think it's there's a lot to build on there, a lot of good things. Um, but, of course, we have to uh, stay realistic and yeah. see, okay, things really do have to improve, especially in the defensive phase. But, yeah, I mean, what what, what, what would you say? I mean, uh, as someone who has been always a big advocate of the, the youth players, of course, um, yeah. how is it the same as last year that there's this you know, this this wave of, oh, great, we're giving the youth a chance um, <laughs> due to all the players that have been coming in. Listen, for me, there is. Um, but I feel as if it's going to be reined in a little by Lampard this season. For for a few reasons. 
I mean, the rotation between Reese James and Athpiliqueta is probably going to be one theme. The rotation between Tammy Abraham and whoever else, since that part of the pitch seems to be a little fluid in terms of options, is going to be another thing. And the rotation between Mason Mount and maybe Havertz or whoever else is going to be another theme. So while they will start, I'm sure they will start, it's just going to be about how Lampard rotates them, which is good. I feel as if it's the logical progression. They've had chances in their first season. And now it's up to them to continue fighting for their places against increased competition and prove their worth and obviously improve in the process. So that's good. And on the balance of things, I would agree with you insofar as that I I would hope that we are in and around the top three for sure this season. But I think to expect a genuine title challenge with the likes of Liverpool is unrealistic still at the moment because obviously we have bought very good players in Havertz and uh, Werner and Ziyech, yeah. uh, Thiago Silva, Mendy. It's been a good window. I'm not, not, not going to say otherwise, although it has been slightly haphazard in terms of squad, squad planning. But we, we, I think it's our responsibility to sort of temper expectations at the moment. So that's my take on it. But as far as results go, if, if we could just do like a small exercise here, which of the four results would be, well, there's obviously the League Cup game against Barnsley, which probably everyone expected us to win. But of the four league games, which would be your most, well, which would be your favorite result and which would be your least favorite result? Well, I mean, any any Chelsea fan will have to say the Crystal Palace game. I mean, the first half was very um, mediocre once more, if you ask yeah. me. I mean, we had more possession all that as we have had most of the time but uh scoring four goals and most importantly not conceding a goal and let's be honest you know Mendy since he has come in he hasn't been in need of doing too much up until now but he's been very commanding uh I haven't felt as if I'm gonna uh you know have a heart attack at corners or set pieces in general so uh, that that's a good thing, and um, one saw that with Crystal Palace. You know, he didn't yeah. have to do much, but still, you know, he commanded his box quite well, and that that was a good thing. Yeah. And um, my least favorite result, well, it's got to be the, uh, the 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 draw and then loss uh, because of penalties or on penalties uh-huh. in the Carabao Cup because it was just so unnecessary. Yeah, okay. it was so unnecessary. That game was in our, in you know, <laughs> grasp of our hands, and uh, you know, I'm not the, the all the abuse that Mason Mount got after that game was absolutely vile mm-hmm. and disgusting, and you know, it shouldn't have happened. But criticism, constructive yeah. criticism, definitely. And Mason Mount didn't have a good game. That pass that he should have been brought, you know, that that was something that any, you know, even in in the Austrian league, in the lower divisions, any normal player who isn't being cocky, and he was a bit cocky in that moment, I feel. Uh-huh. He was also tired. He was knackered, but he was also cocky. Well, have brought that ball. It's 2-1. And that is very frustrating, especially Callum uh, had that one-on-one chance as well, which he should have been buried. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, 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 it, that was frustrating. Very, very frustrating. I'm not going to fault him for that penalty because Mason Mount's been pretty good on set pieces and mm-hmm. penalties when called upon 
I, I'm not sure if he has taken penalties, but he, at youth level, I can still remember, he was always very, very um, sound when it came to that. So that's something that can happen to the best, you know. That, yeah, I'm not definitely. gonna. I'm not gonna fault him for that. I felt sorry for him after, and I, I. I was actually, although I hate the guy, Eric Dyer, coming to him after the game. That was nice to see. <laughs> that was um, nice. Although I hope so, he washed yeah. his hands. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely was... did wash his hands after that toilet. I, I can't imagine <laughs> the the way Mourinho was <laughs> after him, hounding him to get back on that field. But yeah. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Uh, that that was definitely the least favorite game that I saw. Up until yeah. now, though, you could also say the same against uh, against uh, West Brom. West Brom, which was, <laughs> yeah, I, that's I what can't even start to, exp- uh, to, to, to describe what I felt in that first half. So yeah, yeah. But you know, question <laughs> back to you, Ram. Yeah, I will, um, since I did ask you about the about the Premier League games, and you mentioned the Spurs game, which I kind of forgot actually happened. Um, I am. I'll probably name one from the Premier League. So best was obviously Crystal Palace because scoring four goals is nice. But we were also firmly in control, which was very uh, encouraging because we had a pretty poor result in the build-up to that. And yeah, the the disappointing one would probably be West Brom because uh, with all with all due respect to them, I feel as if West Brom are arguably one of the weakest two teams in the league, along with Fulham. Yeah, yeah. So we, we we definitely should have beaten them, but I also feel as if we got slightly done by individual errors from Marcus Alonso and Thiago Silva, and it's it's, it's kind of hard to tell, right? Because we were doing well before the first first West Brom goal, in the sense that Abraham and Werner both missed pretty good chances that you'd back at least one of them to score on any other day. And even, you know, if I had to get nerdy about it, they were good expected goal-wise chances as well. Um, I mean, I have my reservations with single chance analysis, but whatever. They, they were good chances, basically, and they missed them. And after that, the, the state of play kind of changed very quickly because West Brom scored, and then we had an individual error, and that just swung the momentum. So I feel as if there were a couple of pretty crucial moments that didn't go our way in the game at the risk of sounding like Frank Lampard. But also, yeah, on the, on the balance of it, we definitely should have won that game by about four goals. So, and we ended up drawing 3-3, so it was very disappointing, but not necessarily egregious. That, that was my analysis of the game. But mm. yeah, on, on the balance of things, moving on, I suppose... Were there any net positives or negatives from the first four plus two games that we've had so far? I mean, just to just to sort of kick that off. Yeah, I think tactically, I'd say that we might have found the right combination in a four-two-three-one. I think personally, either a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three with two attacking eights would suit the personnel that we have the most. So although Crystal Palace isn't the best barometer, I think the Lampard they season. They, they did. Sorry. They, they did. And, and they, yeah. And, and they are a very, very decent side on their day. And they've got mm. they've got good creative players now as well. So I'm just thinking that maybe Lampard came 
a step closer to figuring out what his best side might be. And maybe we'll talk about that later, but he, it was um, quite haphazard in the first three games. So, you know, in terms of cohesion and finding the right combinations. And mm. also, Tammy Abraham, huge positive for me in the Crystal Palace game. So those would probably be my two biggest net positives. I mean, mm-hmm. l- let's, uh, let's hear yours, positives or negatives, if any. Well, uh, just a, it's a positive and a negative, the main one. And I already mentioned it uh, briefly before that. When I say Lampard has to win something this season, it has to, I don't think he has to win anything this season, but if he shows that there's a visible progress and he's able to actually um, improve our defense and our uh, general generally our team then i'd already take that he doesn't have to win and you know just about not win the league or win the champions league or anything if there's a visual improvement then this is okay because it's a process and you know liverpool and man city well man city just blew loads out money out and you know it still took pep a bit of time to really make a unit out of that that uh crop of players and uh so i'm i'm fine with us Improving this year and the next year, I want us to really uh, fight for titles at the latest. You know, I, I really want to give Liverpool and um, Man City a run for the money this season. But Liverpool just look that good this, again. You know, so it's difficult. Arsenal, although we banter them a lot, they don't look bad now with party coming in as well. So we have to very much adjust our expectations here. Just saying, yeah, now he has to win something as if it's like a switch that gets flicked on and off. This is ridiculous. You know, you can't just say now he has to win something. But what I will say is that, and this is one of the the negatives that I would uh, say, I always do have a problem with Lampard always switching up the lineup and then making choices where I think, why? Mm -hmm. And then choices, for example, with Marcus Alonso, I mean, I know Emerson hasn't been the best, but he has more potential to be good. And I think he should stay as this fourth winger choice until we might get someone else in, especially that Zayash has been injured and Pulisic as well. We we can't just have uh, a team of Werner who should be playing down the middle and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi on the wings. That's just not enough. Yeah. You know, that just isn't. It isn't. And Mason Mount on the wing doesn't really work. It works when he's on the left, but not that much. And so, you know, I, I don't get it why he was playing Marcus Alonso. And then, you know, he says, well, they're not good enough, basically, in regards to Alonso. You chose it. It's his choice to make that. And it was already clearly visible even before that game against West Brom. So uh, Marcus Alonso doesn't work well in a four at the back. This has been glaringly visible for years even before Lampard and yeah. that's some of his tactics which I don't like and especially with his choices I just don't agree with him on many occasion so mm-hmm. especially in regard to defense you know because the ch- constant changing around of that no consistency can be built up there and that 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 is something I don't like and I want to see improve up until yeah. now I haven't seen that so that is a net negative for me um also a net negative would be that our strikers or our attackers haven't been, I mean, I'm excluding Barnsley here. Yeah. They have yep. been scoring and we've had some, a lot of goals in our first few games. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm going to disregard the penalties here uh, that we have gotten, but it just it has to be more clinical 
it has to all be more clinical. Uh, yeah. There's been a lot of wasteful chances uh, going around, and that has to become more clinical. Uh, I'm sure that will happen. We're at the start of the season. I said no preseason. That's a big, 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 big point to be It uh, is a big point. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah, but a net positive would be already the impact that Edouard Mondi had yeah. in the first two games he's been playing because it just gives everyone, not only just as fans, you can quite literally see on the field that defense is far more relaxed. Yeah. It was ridiculous how relaxed they were because they knew, okay, this isn't a guy who's being shaky, who is low on confidence, who we don't know if a simple shot on goal will actually go in, you know, and yeah. then we have yeah. to play catch up. So that is a great positive. I love Timo Werner's work ethic and I love the guy. I think he's going to become, that's a big positive for me because you need these kind of characters at the club where you say, ah, I just love the guy. You know, it's like uh, Angolo Conte. He's just so lovable. You just love him and you want to have him around the club. Um, and Timo Werner has already shown that he can become a cult figure here at the bridge. So that is a big positive. And uh, I like the the um, togetherness, this commonality that's being shown and training, you know, with the pictures, with Ben Chilwell getting yeah. along great with everyone. Ben Chilwell's been a big positive as well. Yeah, he really showed what he can do against Palace. Really good performance. Yep. So, yeah, I think, I think individual performances, one can say positive. Tactically, I wouldn't say that we can talk too much positive. Not negative necessarily, but there's nothing that I would personally say has been an improvement from last season in regards to Lampard yet. Yeah. Absolutely not. You have to give him time. I see. I, I get that, but not that I'd say I'll lord him for that. Yeah, I, I would. Being being a big proponent of Lampard, I, I'd agree with that. Um, pro, well, since we've spoken about Edward Mendy, I, I can't nail your friend's pronunciation, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> given we've talked about him and Chilwell, I suppose we might as well talk about the other three signings. Obviously, mm. Ziyech hasn't played yet, although he he did he did look like he looked very very good in the friendly. But yeah, yeah. what do we make of? Let's start with Timo Werner. What do you think? Well, you know he's shown that he can do those runs. If he gets constant service like a Ziyech, you mentioned the friendly where yeah. you saw that link up immediately. Okay, a bit lucky with uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi's header going in the complete different direction, but <laughs> he was clinical there, and he scored a fantastic goal in the cup. Yeah. Uh, he's shown what he can do, and I love those runs. He's someone who's just, he takes a shot. He, no, as much as I loved Eden Hazard, that was always one of his vices, that he just took too long to take a shot, if at all. And Timo Werner looks very much up for it, and I think he's going to be a huge success. Um in the Premier League, it just doesn't look as if this is had uh, taken a hit to his confidence. There hasn't been free scoring just uh -huh. yet, but I, I thought he's been looking really lively, making those runs down the channels. He's been linking up well with his teammates, and yeah. Or oh, what do you say? I would agree with all of that. I think um, I think he's been doing well in what he's been asked to do, but I think Lampard's management of him could be better and the way he's being fit into the overall tactical plan. Because I think they're not nearly utilizing his capacity to run in behind defenses enough, especially against Liverpool. I felt that obviously their fullbacks leave a lot of space behind them. And yeah. 
Well, there was there was uh, n- nothing for Werner in that game, which seemed very bizarre given that's obviously the tactical plan with which you approach Liverpool. And that's what Aston Villa did. That's what Ollie Watkins did all day against Liverpool. And for some reason, Chelsea didn't set up to enable Werner to do those things. So while while he has played well within his role, he's obviously a very good player. And we know that but I would like to see more from him in terms of the team enabling the, his best performances, the team setting up to get the absolute maximum out of him. So there's that. That's what I think about Werner. Obviously, mm. he will he will score lots of goals. I have him in my fantasy family team, and I'm not taking him out. So, Timo, if you're <laughs> listening to this, I am showing blind faith in you. <laughs> and, okay, we can move on to Havertz, I suppose. Mm. What what do you what do you make of the German? Uh, I don't know. He's the the German crown jewel. <laughs> I'd actually like to hear hear you speak your mind on him first because th- he's a very diff- interesting interesting case. Mm. What, what 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 would you say about how it's just to start with you if that's okay mm. with you? Yeah, no, sure. Um, as you know, I had my reservations about this transfer because it just meant as if we had one attacker too many, which we do. I, th- I still think we absolutely do. Um, Even so, with oh, actually, on Parker. Yeah, actually, I mean, given that it's resulted in Loftus-Cheek going, <laughs> I feel as if we still are going to have a bit of a problem giving hudson Doy minutes, but mm. we'll see. Uh, but in terms of Habits himself, I thought that in his first game against Brighton, he was very ineffectual, mm, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, that's true. It was, uh, the, the team was also not looking very cohesive in that match, and Habits was in this weird uh, right attacking 10 kind of right role. Right back nearly, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, could, I mean, you could get a sense of what he does well, which is basically he's very good at receiving, playing on the half turn, creating separation for himself in a pinch. And then bringing other teammates into play, right? That he's a he's a creative focal point, so to speak. That's that's also where he was. That that kind of role was where he flourished. Essentially, in yeah, mm. essentially, exactly in at Bayer Leverkusen. So while he was very underwhelming in the Brighton game, um, I eventually saw that the team could possibly set up to get the best out of him, unlike with Werner. And I think. A very good example of this was against Crystal Palace, where a lot of things were going through him centrally, and he was uh, he was receiving the ball with a plump near the near the penalty area, and that directly led to a penalty, as we saw. So I have been very impressed with him in the last game. It's basically it's been like an upward curve of he as thing to the team and yeah. to the style of football. And England in general, he's looked gradually better and better. And I, I have no doubt that he's going to be a very big player for us. So I'd, I'd probably I'd probably give his start to the season like an 8, 8 out of 10 or so. But I, I think he's probably going to hit a 10 out of 10 soon if we continue playing him in that number 10 position because I think that's his best role. Now, the dilemma is where do you play Mount if that is Havertz's his best role? So that that's that's something for Frank to figure out. But yeah, that's my that's my impression of Havertz. What about yourself? De- depending on who you ask, uh, yeah. Mount's going to play regardless, and that's the thing. That's the yeah. you yeah. speak of because uh, I, I get why uh, he wants to play Mount, and I love Mason Mount regardless of what some twats say on <laughs> French on on social yeah. media. Um, 
But, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult because I'm not, I'd like to see it be tried out uh, with him and Kante in a, if we're playing the 4 2 3 1, in the double pivot because that might work. But then again, we've got a, too many good choices there because Jorginho and Kante works for me. Uh, but depend, it depends on the, on the, on the game, because if you're going to play against someone with a speedy counter-attacking play, then Chorginho is not necessarily the best pivot to have. Then you want a Kovacic, but then the creativity in the forward passing goes yeah. missed because he has these mazy runs where he can uh, move the ball or carry the ball uh, up the field, but he doesn't do it often enough for me. Mm-hmm. So then Mace Mount has the other pass. He has the work rate. It's, it's a very difficult... Uh, uh, but... The bottom line is that Havertz, in all of the, with all these questions that remain unanswered here and for Frank to be figured out, doesn't matter what we're talking about, how we set up. Havertz has to play in that 10. Yeah. He <laughs> loves that role. And while I thought yeah, he, he, he would play you know, on the right side of uh, a 4-3-3, you know, in like an 8 position, this mm. is his position. As you said, it's gradually gotten better. And... That, that performance, I think we were all a bit underwhelmed when we saw him and people were immediately uh, writing him off, which is just this reaction, reactiveness, you know, this, this rash, irrational uh, behavior. This is something very, you know, like the status quo nowadays anyway. But yeah. he, he'd been in training with that team for a few days. You know, what he's 19 Agreed. years old for crying out loud, or 20 years old. You can't expect him to immediately hit the ground running. That's, you know, as he's much 21, as he's, but yeah. 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 Oh, 21. Sorry. As much as he's a generational talent. Yeah. Uh, only like a Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo will probably hit the ground running. Even Eden Hazard needed a few games to rev up. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's absolutely fine. And as you already said, he, he, he has gradually gotten quite better, uh, quite a big amount better. So that, that's fine with me. Uh, I love how he gets out of sticky situations with such flair. And mm-hmm. despite his his height, you know, and like a, I don't want to compare him to Peter Crouch because he Peter Crouch is <laughs> quite a bit taller, of course. But, you know, someone that you wouldn't necessarily uh, associate silky moves and this 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 speed with. He I just like that about him. Uh, it still feels if in some of the games the opponent underestimated him a bit yeah. and then he knew how to exploit that. So he's shown some good signs and I'm quite happy. And I like that there's a German connection. I mean, they might be Germans and Austrians, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, a German speaking core, uh, <laughs> at Chelsea. I like that, you know, you love and, that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. And best thing is probably, you know, the, the transfer window will be open quite soon again, actually. Yeah. Um, without, Tony Rudiger, as much as I yeah. love him as a person, Agent right. Rudiger, uh, which I definitely didn't expect, will be probably on the way out. So that that's a good thing. And um, you know, they get along well with Christian Pulisic, and I love this 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 togetherness that's been shown. And Kai Havertz is part of that. Though people have been saying, "Oh, well, he looks so you know, unexcitable, um, very shy." That's something yeah. very typical German. You know, maybe it? Yeah, it is. Yes. Very <laughs> interesting. dry. Let's say okay. it's dry. You know, that, that is very, very German. And mm-hmm. as such, I, I, you know, I wouldn't like uh, hold that against him at all. It's just it's just 
a trait which he has. Not everyone's like Timo Werner. Uh, who, yeah. He's, a, he's very much a bright <laughs> seems, spot. That yeah, regard. nice and jovial. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. Um, yeah, so generally speaking, that was a good one uh, with Kai Havertz. Uh, we definitely worth his money. But as long as he's played at the 10, and if Lampard doesn't do that, then that will probably be held against him quite a bit. It will. But yeah, Ben Chilwell. Got to talk about Ben Chilwell. And I'm really <laughs> excited to hear what you think about Ben Chilwell up until now. Before we do that, yeah. we'll just take a quick break. Right. And we're back after the break. And we were talking about Ben Chilwell. He's uh, obviously gets along well with the other lads. And I think he's been like a breath of fresh air. It's, uh, as you said, Marcus Alonso is not exactly a left back in a back four. And Emerson is not the Emerson of this time of the year, 2019. So it's, it looks as if we have a real, completely functioning left back playing in a back four after a while, which is nice. And... I thought Chilwell brought a lot of composure in the final third, which was nice. He retained possession well. He had some excellent deliveries on him, which was very good to see. Got into that goal-scoring position that Marcus Alonso is very adept at getting into. And defensively, he seemed fine as well. We, we know that he was, um, he was a bit of a cross between Emerson and... Alonso in terms of Alonso's aerial ability and Emerson's technical prowess. But what I like about Chilwell is that he also possesses a decent amount of pace. I wouldn't call him like a breakneck type of left back like Robertson or such, but I would say that Chilwell has enough in him to not get turned by quick opponents very easily. So he's just he's got the right mix of attributes, really, and I think he showed that against... Um, against Palace. So I have obviously been very, very impressed in the short sample size in which we've seen Ben Chilwell. I don't, honestly, I don't see how anyone could see any any different. I'm fully on board with you, so I I agree. Uh, I think he wasn't a lot of people's first choice, including my own. Yeah. Um, And that's fine because he's just going to show us uh, or convince us that we were wrong and that I'm gladly as many people will be uh, proven wrong by players that come in absolutely so because same with you know I I I really team I don't want uh, a Tony and New Rudigan the team and a few (laughs) others but if they play well and consistently well fine I don't care you know I'll gladly have them play well as long as they do so and merit being playing on merit that is the most important thing and uh ben chilwell definitely yeah has earned to start for chelsea not that there's much competition no but uh he definitely 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 should be playing and yeah i've also been impressed with him and uh, as he's only played one game i mean i know he played that half against uh uh, what's my call it? Uh, Tottenham Spurs. He played, if I'm not mistaken, also a half and a few minutes against Barnsley. But mm-hmm. otherwise, uh, you know, maybe a two small, smaller sample size just yet. Yeah, Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva, <laughs> 36 or even 37 now. Um, yeah. 
against West Brom, that that mistake was not like him. So people were already slating, oh, he won't he won't be able to you know contribute. He's not good enough. He's too old. That is a freak mistake, you know. French league or not, that's something that you know it doesn't matter what kind of a league you're in, you shouldn't be doing that. And that doesn't happen to Thiago Silva normally. And as such, he played well against Crystal Palace, mm-hmm. um, distributing the ball well, very calm and composed. And as we heard from Cesar Pelicueta uh-huh. uh, in the interview, I think only yesterday or the day before. They're talking, speaking French with Zuma, with him, with Monty, um, which is fantastic because then, uh, and of course, Kante. Yeah. Um, or Kante. <laughs> Sorry, try to pronounce it French. Um, that, that, that works well, you know. So I think he brings that much needed leadership aspect into the dressing room. And I wouldn't say I've been impressed because, you know, you'd expect him to, at the very least, do, do well. Yeah, um, with that experience that he has, and yeah, I I think we'll see him quite a bit this season. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's a stopgap, but generally speaking, I thought he's done okay. He, I suppose, he does he does look quite composed, but I I, I have some issues with uh, his first touch not being very sharp. Let's see if that maybe improves going, I mean, in the future. But I'm, um, I think our general consensus on the signing before the season was that it would be a decent stopgap option in terms of yeah. maybe shoring things up at the back for a few games and probably bringing the intangibles of leadership and character to the dressing room which Lampard has spoken about as well. So that's fine. In terms of where he is on the pitch, I still feel as if, uh, yeah, that, that first touch has uh, made me a little worried after the West Brom game. <laughs> and I, I do think that progressing the ball quicker is something all of our centre-backs could do. And Thiago Silva did seem to be a bit of an improvement in his initial few passes. But I think he kind of reverted to... To the to the same habit of our other options, so I don't know if it's a systemic thing, but uh, yeah, he seems sound technically. But I wish I wish we see him progressing the ball quicker in possession in the future. So yeah, he's he's been all right. Not not too much good or bad to say about him just yet. Uh, what what yeah. I want to fi- what I want to see going forward is what Lampard is going to do about his game time. I don't know if I mean obviously he's. He must be a physical freak of nature, given he's been playing so many games up until this age. But I don't know how it's going to work in terms of how much playing time he expects and whether it's realistic Mm. to give him a start in every game and whether he's automatically first or second choice. So, yeah, that's just a dynamic to keep an eye on, I suppose, as the season progresses. But... Uh, all in all, I suppose he's been fine. Not amazing, not uh, bad or anything like that. But yeah, he's he's been solid so far, I suppose you could say that. And he's he's learning English via Duolingo, so that's cool. Even though his <laughs> even though most of the most of the back four can communicate in French now. But yeah, that's that with the new signings, I suppose. We've we've had a little word on Mendy and how much he's an improvement on Kepa. Yeah. We we can only hope his injury isn't too bad, and if God, it yes. is that Kepa comes in with, you know, um, 
a fire burning inside him. <laughs> so mm. it, it could work. It could work well that way, hopefully, remaining optimistic. But no, go on. Sorry, I, I feel as if you were about to say something. No, I, ju- I just wanted to add, and don't forget, people, that Frank Khalids, who I really do not like, uh, tweet <laughs> where he was quoting him moaning about Lampard, basically. That uh-huh. is not correct. That was not uh-huh. the full quote, and that was not how he said it. Um, I don't necessarily love Kepa's, uh, commit well, commitment, his, his uh, work ethic. Um, but, uh, you know... Fair play, he did not say it in that way. So he had didn't complain about, you know, or complain, not a snide comment, a comment about, you know, it depends on the coaching, how well his confidence is doing. That That's not the way it was. Just sorry, I just wanted to add that because I don't like it when the media or some yeah. special personalities that really are just normal people but feel as if they're like stars um, try to misconstrue uh, players... Uh, what they said for their own means. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that you mentioned that, so thank you. And moving on, mm. do we want to talk about what our strongest side would look like? I mean, obviously, we have had a considerable number of injuries in terms of players that are important to the squad, like Christian Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech two pretty big attacking options. Yeah. So, and obviously Billy Gilmore is out injured at the moment, at the moment as well. So mm. it's, He'll um, be getting much more minutes, just, just a side yes. note. He'll be getting yeah. quite a few minutes when he comes back. Mm. That's right. So now that mostly everyone but Mendy is fit, what would you say, what would be your best 11? And mm. if... if um, if we want to settle on like two alternative 11s, then that's fine as well, given we actually have a wealth of options. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking we have one pretty strong side with a 4-2-3-1, and we have another pretty strong side with a 4-3-3. So, okay, which, just to put the feelers out, uh, what would be your preferred formation? We'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, because you... We've been hearing a lot about prefer or the strongest lineups in the Daily Hilario and uh, predict, predicted preferred lineup threads um, on We Ain't Got the History. Been mm-hmm. a lot of talk, fan posts, blah, 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 social media, of course, as well. It's just something that people love to do at the moment, not only because of fantasy teams, maybe, but also because we are desperately awaiting to finally see all our summer signings play at the same time mm-hmm. because. They should because all of them basically improve our side immediately and will come into that starting lineup. Apart from Malang Sa, who's being sent on loan anyway, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, so I think it goes without saying that at this point in time, and I, I'll gladly um, say, you know, okay, Kepa can play if he, for some crass reason, and out of, you know, out of the blue, suddenly turns up his game and is the best goalkeeper in the world. And by all means, you know, play him. But <laughs> at this point in time, Monty has to start in goal. I think we we will agree on that. Yeah. And um, yeah. Otherwise, at right back, I think it that is a difficult one because it depends on the game. 
You know, if you want that attacking outlet, then Reese James is absolutely crucial, especially if you have uh, someone in the in the centre like Olivier Giroud. Because mm-hmm. it always seems as if when we want to do the crosses, we don't actually have someone up front who can head them in. And yeah. when we do have one up front, then the crosses don't come in. I don't know if that's <laughs> up to Lampard's tactics not being yeah. implemented properly or if Lampard just doesn't know what he's doing. I hope not the second, and I strongly doubt it. Uh, but yeah, they, that's a bit weird. So Reese James definitely when we were trying to attack, but defensively, I you know if we want to be sitting back and hitting on the counter, then for me it's got to be Aspilicueta. Mm-hmm. So that that depends. Otherwise, centre back partnership, I, I want consistency. It's got to be Kurt Zuma and um, well, mm. uh, Thiago Silva in theory, but okay. you can't play right. all games every game. And then second in line, yeah, or the first in line. Got to be Fikal Tomori. He showed Gotta be. some good, good signs. And already last season and now, he showed some great signs. Um, and Christensen has just been too inconsistent. And I really, really like Christensen. But, you know, just been too inconsistent. If he doesn't improve drastically, then, you know, he might be sold next season. You never know. If okay. Malang Sar comes back, we've got one anyway too much at the moment. So Malang yeah. Sar comes back. He's had a great season. Christensen mm-hmm. will be sold. You know, that's just the way it is. And, you know, no one's bigger than the club. That's it. Um, but as of now, it's Thiago Silva and Kurt Zuma for the foreseeable future. Fair. Left back, Benchil will. Easy. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. Um, now, provided that this is a 4-2-3-1, uh, it's got to be, of course, Angola Kante. I know he's been under uh, quite a bit of criticism. He's heard some criticism in recent yeah. times. I've yeah. also been, you know, skeptical, you know, with his injuries last season because he undoubtedly he's a great player to have on the field. But um, you know, with his injuries, what 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 are we going to do there if he's always injured? But this season he hasn't been injured. He's been great. Uh, there was the one game, which game was that, where he came on in about seventy minutes, and we were toothless. I think it was against Spurs. I think when so, they yeah. equalized and then he came on and we were toothless and shell shock basically. <laughs> and then he single handedly took the game at the, uh, you know, into his hands and he really, really pushed the team. And then we were able to get it come to chances again. So at the scruff of his neck, that what I was trying to say, sorry. Um, yeah. So, you know, he has to start there basically. Then yeah. you have, course um the choice ha huh. that that's the most difficult position for me it is the, it is who plays in the double pivot uh next to kante and you know there are arguments to be made for kovacic for Jorginho, or even mason mount um yeah as of now because i don't think the kovacic kante pivot double pivot has worked too well mm-hmm. i'd probably have to go with Jorginho. You know, even though people like Seb C will not agree there, to say the least, um, I, I definitely would go with Jorginho for now. And, uh, yeah, then Havertz 10 on the wing, Christian Pulisic on the one side, on Hakim Ziyech on the other, and then Timo Werner down the middle. That's that's pretty simple for me. Uh, though, of course, it yeah. depends on the game, because, you know, some games <laughs> we want to have Olivier Giroud start. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that would be my my eleven. Yeah, if I if I were to frame a starting eleven in four two three one, mm-hmm. I think mine would be 
identical to yours. So I will, I'll talk about my 433 variant, mm-hmm. which I've just been kind of theorizing about as the best way to fit all of all of the good players that we have into the same yeah. side. So that's uh, obviously, the defense probably doesn't change. So it's the same defense as what you said. So Mendy, Thiago Silva slash Tomori, uh, Kurt Zuma, Reese James, rotating with Aspilicueta probably, Ben Chilwell, un- unequivocally first choice left back. And then if Lampard can get Kante to act as a purely deep-lying destroyer. If I, I suppose that it's in Kante's nature to try and get into a lot of 50-50 situations, even if it means slightly deserting a deeper position in the pitch for a 50-50 that's kind of slightly higher up. And he does that very well, obviously, but I think the team requires someone to sit in front of defense and not really venture from that area. So if Lampard can get Conte to do that, and I mean, if he could do that, that would be ideal, even if not, Conte is still playing there. So yeah, he's, he's my number six, ideally as a sitting player. And then I'm thinking two attacking eights. So Mason Mount, he, he did this at Derby. So when he had a sitting midfielder in Bradley Johnson or Tom Huddleston, and he had Harry Wilson and Mason Mount both as attacking eights, where Mason Mount was more like the box-to-box kind of shuttler and Harry Wilson was more of the, you know, the attacking creative mm. kind of number eight. So I'm thinking that may work, in theory it works, if Mason Mount occupies the same role over here on the left and Kai Havertz plays a more more attacking number eight role on the right. So Conte, Havertz, and Mount would be my midfield setup. And then obviously Christian Pulisic on the left, Hakim Ziyech on the right. Uh, with <laughs> it, It's obviously painful for me to say, but um, Werner up front, lots of, uh, lots of balls in behind, a lot of good direct attacking into the penalty area by Christian Pulisic. I believe that Pulisic and Chilwell can be a devastating combination down the left. So yeah. there's a lot to like there. Uh, there's, uh, I feel as if it could be a very multifaceted team, good at a lot of things, if we had that lineup, provided Mount and Havertz kind of got the midfield balance right. Ideally, you don't want you don't want a lot of space between them and Kante. So yeah, yeah that that's just the kind of lineup that I dream about working ideally, and we're able to fit Mount and Havertz in the same team. And obviously Ziyech and Pulisic with Hudson and Roy rotating for one of them. It all works out very well when you think of it that way. But obviously this is real life and not football manager. But either way, uh, this was um this was a thought experiment. So your four two three one lineup and my four three three is what we think would be Chelsea's strongest setup. So yeah. well, before moving on to the next segment, I suppose this calls for a short break. And we are back. Um, yes. Before we come to our last segment of our episode today, um, I just want to say one more thing about Mason Mount because I have been advocating for Mason Mount to be in my strongest 11 uh, this season because I just think Mason Mount, what he brings to the team, which mm-hmm. some people clearly underestimate, 
and disregard, which isn't fair at all. In my opinion, my personal opinion, I'm not going to generalize and say that everyone should think that way. If you do not agree, fine. Yeah. But I think he is crucial to this team mostly. But one thing that we saw last season after his great start to the season is if you play Mason Mount too much, he very quickly becomes very tired, like anyone because he's a human being. But while others who have just this, this... Mason Mount's an extremely hard worker. And of course, he also has talent, but he is one of those that I'd say, you know, like Didier Drogba said, you know, it's not all about quality and talent, it's how hard you work. And uh, he's, for me, the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, while others, even when they are tired, they can just bring out this, this moment of magic, like an Eden Hazard, for example. That isn't necessarily Mason Mount's game, in my opinion. So he needs to be rested. You know, he can't play every game. And this is why, on the one hand, I can understand people saying, you know, oh, he's uh, Lampard's pet. He's the only one that doesn't play on merit. He's just, he's his son and all that kind of crap. Um, I think he needs to play in a lot of games because he's just good and this team needs him. But... You can't play him every game as Lampard's currently doing. I, I know he didn't start against Crystal Palace, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, but that felt more like him trying to, you know, uh, protect him after that uh, game against Tottenham. Hmm. And maybe also because he was tired, uh, probably as well, because that is the point. You know, Mason Mount has to be coached in that way and handled very carefully because he's the most lethal and the, uh, his best if he's nice and fresh. And that's why I think that is something that Lampard will have to figure out because if he's going to continue with playing him each and every game, that's not going to work, in my opinion. So yeah. that, that is something that has to be said. And I hope, because then, because he'd be uh, fresher most of the time, he would then be able to drop some performances, which are fantastic. You know, always have a good performance consistently, and then mm-hmm. people might start getting off his back for once. And, yeah. you know, you, you can't hound a player to play each and every game and consistently have this, this um, standard of uh, being above average, you know, really, really fantastically good mm-hmm. at his age. And that's not the kind of player that Mason Mount is. You know, he can give you fantastic performances, but he needs to be handled correctly and appropriately i just wanted to say that because mason mount has been like the most discussed player it felt to me i don't know if you'd agree with that ram but he's been one of the most discussed players during these first few weeks of the season and i think i'm fairly so because you know mason mount can't he can't decide will i start or not he can't go up to lamp and say hey please don't start me gaffer that's ridiculous anyone (laughs) who because there have been people asking for that (laughs) What are you on? Come on. Are you having a laugh? No player in this world, no matter how good or bad he is, will go to the coach and say, don't play me unless it's for personal reasons. Let's say, you know, he's grieving or whatever. And even then, normally they wouldn't do that because these are professionals, footballers, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the job and they know it. So, you know, cut him some slack. He has to be handled more effectively in not playing each game and then I think Mason Mount won't be talked about as much anymore and he'll consistently be good 
in that starting 11. Yeah, well said, very well said. I feel a lot of people would do, would do well to take heed of what you've just said. So moving on to the next section, I am going to, I'm going to start a small loan round up section to make up for my... Yay! <laughs> we've been missing this, Ram. We've been missing this. Uh, speak for the whole community. We have been missing this. Thank you. Um, due to my gross negligence on the website, of course, there are, there are various time constraint related reasons due to which I can't spend uh, two or three hours writing the loan roundup every week. But hopefully we will be able to cover them and keep you up to date on how our players are doing out on loan um, every time we record this podcast. So just kind of rounding up the players who are in England at the moment. So We've got Nathan Baxter, who just headed out on loan to Accrington Stanley, as did John Russell. John Russell played, he, he had one substitute appearance in Accrington Stanley's last game, and there was not much of note. Nathan Baxter has just been named on the bench. There are games going on as we speak. He will have to break his way into the side, competing with another very interesting young keeper named Toby Sabin. So he's got a task on his hands. And... But the third loanee at Accrington Stanley, who has been doing well, and he's, he's scored a couple of screamers, actually, is Tariq Uwakwe, who's um, been part of a lot of successes of the development squad and the under-18s in his time at Cobham. He's been playing as the left wing-back for Accrington Stanley, and he's doing well. So long may that continue. Then we have Jamal Blackman. Remember him? He, uh, he was actually doing very well until he got injured in his loan spell at Leeds United in 2018. And since he's been on loan briefly at Bristol Rovers, now he's at Rotherham United. He has been their starting keeper and Rotherham have looked, well, decent so far, considering that they've come into the championship as a newly promoted side and huge minnows. So Blackman has come in and he started and he's done well. Then there is also Jamie Cumming, Another goalkeeper, the third keeper we have out on loan in the EFL at the moment. He's been the starting goalkeeper for Stevenage in League Two, who have Burger King as their shirt sponsors. Surprisingly, um, pleasant, pleasant surprise. Uh, Jamie Cumming has been very good by all accounts. Their fans have quickly taken a liking to him. He's made some very good saves and been crucial in their decent start to the season. Uh, long may that continue as well. Jamie Cumming has obviously shown a lot of promise, been around, been in and around the first team for these last one and a half years. So he's doing well. A good start to life in the senior game. Well, I'm not necessarily covering people like Kennedy and Batshuayi because there is, uh, they might not necessarily play for us again. Ross Barkley um, probably doesn't need much covering either. And we all know he played a very big role in Aston Villa's um, absolutely outrageous result against Liverpool. Malang Sar has just headed out on loan to FC Porto in Portugal. Should be a good move for him. Matt Miazga has gone to Vincent Company's RSC Anderlecht, which is his level, to be fair. I feel as if he's comfortably, comfortably of the Jupiler Pro League level, so that's a good move for him. And then, to round it up, there is Lewis Baker, 
at Trabzonspor. Obviously, Eddie Newton is the manager of Trabzonspor at the moment, which is why Lewis Baker has gone there, started their first game. Hopefully, we'll get some more minutes. Uh, Benny Gafobi is there as well, as a side note, if um, you're wondering about any other traces of English influence at Trabzonspor. And finally, there is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who has gone to Fulham. Uh, Jimmy, it was a personally, it was a kind of weird choice to me, given he was touted to have had several yeah. clubs interested in him. But he has gone to the club, which has about six or seven options to play in three midfield roles. And that, that's, it's kind of baffling to me, uh, given Ruben definitely needs to play a run of games. So he, he probably have to displace like Tom Kearney uh, out of the side. And Kearney is a club captain and central to everything that Fulham have been doing. So it's um, assuming they've had good discussions with Scott Parker, maybe Loftus-Cheek will get around the games, but let let the record show that I am highly skeptical about the stone move. And apologies for, we have not mentioned Ethan Amparu so far, who is uh, our other loney, apart from Conor Gallagher, who hasn't played yet. Uh, Conor Gallagher has played one game in the cup and done well. Did well, yeah. Yeah, he, um, I think he, played he got an assist for one of their goals or an assist that led to a penalty uh but he did, he wasn't uh, included in their game last weekend because presumably because of an injury because he wasn't included for the England unders either the under 21s presumably so something going on there with Gallagher probably not something serious because Bilic said he just needed some time to get ready so Ethan Ampadu last but not the least he is obviously someone we will be keeping a very close eye on because we, we all just want him to play football, basically. We spoke about him in our last podcast episode as well. So Ethan Ampadu has um, he's played twice for Sheffield United so far. He's played in the Cup and he's played in the Premier League because uh, John Egan obviously had uh, that unceremonious red card. So he came on against Aston Villa. He had a start against Leeds, and he obviously had 90 minutes in the cup against Burnley. So far, he's been used once as the middle centre-back, um, well, twice, stepping in for John Egan. And in the cup, he was used as a right centre-back stand-in for Chris Basham. And I think primarily that's where that's where Sheffield United see him in the squad. They see him as a able deputy for Chris Basham first and then in the other positions. So, so far, Ampadu has shown some good signs insofar as that he cleared or he was active to a lot of aerial pressure that Burnley applied in the cup game that Sheffield United lost on penalties. And he looked confident on the ball, although he seemed a little unsure as to when to embark on those signature overlapping runs that Chris Basham has become known for in Chris Wilder's system. So some signs of tactical cohesion are missing yet from Ampadu's game. But overall, he has been okay. I thought against um, against Leeds, he was largely solid. But, you know, it's the kind of game that you would watch and say he was solid without being overly impressive either. So he's, he's taken... He's... Uh, not seen as much of the ball as we would like him to, owing to maybe systemic reasons. But he's also shown that he needs time to get, get well, into the grips of Chris Wilder's tactical system. 
so it's been um it's not been the most resoundingly successful start to the season in terms of how well he's played but the fact that ampadu has already played more than 200 minutes is definitely encouraging and jack o'connell is out with injury so there may be some rotation going around in sheffield united's defensive setup so hopefully he will get role he will get a role somewhere in there and he will get more minutes so far there's been no indication that he's being used midfield because sander berger has been standing in for norwood as the deep line playmaker so we're not sure if ethan ampadu is in wilder's plans as a defensive mid but so far so good hopefully he gets to play more minutes and with playing more minutes he will obviously look much much better so it's been a it's been a lukewarm start to sum it up so let's not get ahead of ourselves he is after all just 20 years old and has time on his side but also needs minutes so exactly especially that, after last season exactly especially after that so that concludes the loan roundup section mm i i would say you know uh, anyone who's listening at this moment uh, will probably also have a few questions uh, in regard to that Ruben Loftus-Cheek um, yeah. topic. Uh, you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, after what happened with Fernand last season, I mean, that is the worst kind of uh, situation. You can have a player that you actually really want to have in this team um in the long term i mean on the other hand of course if you look back to josh mckechran at swansea or like uh, ethan ambadu at leipzig last season they of course they had time on their side because they were still very young i mean didn't help josh mckechran sad story we all know that but it you know ethan ambadu that's okay because he's got time on his side room loft is cheap a lot of people said this is his make or break season and then he gets loaned out and that is something which is very dis for me, mm-hmm. it's not very encouraging. As you said, they have quite a few midfielders. I still think that despite uh, them having quantity, the quality is missing. And if Ruben Loftus-Cheek can play uh, to the quality that he played for, and I'm going to say this quite intentionally, under Maurizio Sarri, well, I thought he mm-hmm. was fantastic, especially yeah. in the Europa League, yeah. um, then I think he will be Fulham's best player. I'm going to be completely honest because I am not impressed by that Fulham team. <laughs> They're even worse than West Brom, although they have more uh, well-known names like uh, Alexander yeah. Mitrovic, who can score quite a few goals, uh, and a Tom Kenny. Anguisa is good. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. really been impressed, although he, you know, I think came from Marseille and you yeah. know he had quite a price tag. And the same with anyone f- remember Jean-Michel Serri, who was like mm-hmm. the other candidate. It's Michael. Michael, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever, uh, whatever. But the point is, Seri, people remember him because he was very much linked to Chelsea and like the and next... And Barcelona, entity. let's not forget and that. And Barcelona, exactly. And yeah, we'll know how that worked out. So my point is, I think he, if, if, despite him not being at Chelsea and, you know, not this make or break season at Chelsea yeah. won't happen... Um, it's still a make-or-break season for Lurum Loftus-Cheek in his regard to his own personal career because he needs to show that he can do it consistently without injuries for a longer period. And Fulham should hopefully give him that chance. I don't think that Scotty Parker will have um, gotten him in just to have him on the bench. That doesn't seem like a good idea because he is one of the most uh, high-profile 
players that they have at that club. Yeah. And he will offer them something that the others don't quite quite objectively speaking i know that sounds weird from a chelsea fan saying objectively speaking but in this case but i think i really do think so uh, that that's the case so we'll just have to wait and see um yeah i think the west ham uh, was it west ham no it was aston villa who were the others that were in for him that was a weird one because i would have kept ross barkley in all honesty i would have kept him uh, because Same. just one injury to one of our midfielders now, and we're you know we we are going to struggle because you know we can't play. Uh, we'd have no eight. Yeah, we we we. <laughs> I really would have left Ross Barkley in there. And on the other hand, you know we bought him for about fifteen mil. If he does as well as he did against Liverpool, even though it was a bit wasteful, uh, then you'd expect him to go for around forty forty five million next yeah. summer when hopefully uh the economy has um uh improved again after this whole pandemic situation and we might get that you know 50, uh, 30 mil uh into the bank what on our initial investment that is pretty damn good and uh yeah it was obvious that he was going to leave chelsea over this summer or the next but i wouldn't have let both of them go uh, lonely room loft is cheap. I don't know. Uh, I, I <laughs> yeah, it, it's a difficult one, but it's a strange one, yeah, yeah, just the way it is. And uh, yeah, uh, it's also interesting because, regard to Ethan Ampadu, you know, he's not he's been seen as a center back. I've always saw him as a center back. A lot of people on the blog, Wing on the History, think he plays as a midfielder, that's his future. And that might still be true. He's very young. But, you know, if he does well at centre-back because of suspensions, injuries, as is the case now, and then lastly on merit, hopefully, um, then, you know, he's another candidate next to Malang Sai if he does well as as well um, that will be able to come in next season. And then, you know, uh, uh, Tony Rudiger, who I think will be gone in January anyway, but uh, uh, Christensen, possibly even a Fikal Tomori, you know? I yeah. think this is also a season that he has to show, I'm here. Maybe Thiago Silva will be gone anyway, and then still he'd be, you know, quite low on the pecking order if he doesn't show. So this is a very, very crucial season for a lot of players to illustrate what they can do. And... Um, yeah, you didn't speak about Fikal Tomori on your loan roundup because he isn't on loan, although he <laughs> yeah. would have been. And that is something that I like to see because that I would have expected from Room Loftus Cheek as well. But yeah, just the way it's, just, just want to add my two cents on that because uh, we're not, uh, it's not over yet. There are a few yep. players that could still be loaned to the championship and we'll have to keep an eye on that. Like, I don't know, Ian Matson, Henry Lawrence, maybe even, or who we have. Uh, still sitting well Danny Drinkwater blimey uh <laughs> yeah there there are a few aren't there so you never know um I don't think Danny Drinkwater is going to be playing for Chelsea even if we do have uh a bit you know not as uh, high a number in midfield as I thought we would be having um but I really do hope that it doesn't happen. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of nah, no, 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 no problem at all. Yeah. Actually, while um, while you were talking, we've had a live loan roundup goal 
because John John Russell, who just went to Washington Stanley, scored on his first um, on his full debut. So, so that's right. cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So looking forward, Chelsea are playing Southampton in their first league game back from in the international break, and I know this. Um, this must mean a lot to you because you love Raf Hasenhutl being I do. a prominent Austrian manager who is doing very well. I love him too, for what it's worth. And Southampton are a very, very good side to come up against for any team in the league. So how do you see this one going? Well, that's the thing, because even though I don't think that the quality of the... I mean, it's much better than the Fulham or West Brom, that goes without yeah. saying. But, you know, quality-wise, I think... They are lacking, especially after they uh, sold Heiberg. Danny Ings is their best player, hands down. Um, I don't believe that their centre-backs, individually, quality-wise, like a, a Vestergaard, are good. Because I watched him at Bremen, he wasn't good, in my opinion. Um, mm. And he has been mediocre at best in the Premier League. But the coaching is absolutely crucial for Southampton with Ralph, Ralph Hasenhüttl. The guy is... Coaching a relegation candidate, basically, at yeah. best, someone who might be in the lower part of the of the the, the midfield area of the Premier League. Um, but the guy should be coaching like a, I don't know. Of course, they have Nuno or Carlo Ancelotti, but a kind of Everton uh, Wolves in the Premier League, or even a very good team in one of the other leagues, like in the Bundesliga. I'd expect him to be coaching, for example, Borussia Dortmund. For yeah. example, he has that quality. He showed that at Leipzig, and the guy is known to be a fantastic manager, tactically astute. He knows his football, and he also is really good uh, with players, and that's worth a lot. And I think that's something he's given those Southampton players their confidence back, and that is something which can hurt Chelsea because they don't give up as easily as they used to. You know, when Southampton. Uh, used to concede a goal, it was over basically with with Claude Puel, who was terrible uh, for them. But now it, there's more belief at the club, and they've already collected some quite some big scalps over the last uh, one and a half seasons. So, yep, we have to be very very careful. Um, they can be a very physical side with uh, the likes of Aurel Romeo, who we will still know from his time during at Chelsea, Rafa Benitez times. Seems like an ages ago. Um, this is a very difficult game. And I think if we once again come out blazing and score early in one of the halves, no matter which, then we can win this, of course. Um, I'd be very, very careful, though, because uh, you never should underestimate Ralph Hasenhüttl. And he, and th- this is a huge quality as a, as a coach. He can adjust in games yeah and that is very very important that's something that i felt we've been lacking with lampard at sometimes it means substitutions have been good but uh yeah that anyway um we have to play with the strongest lineup of course and i think with hakim zayesh and christian pulisic then potentially being back um that defense of theirs will struggle Co- you know ralph hausen because his quality uh completely uh, leaving that aside. Um, this Chelsea team at its best, even with capping goal, if that were to happen, uh, should be more than good enough to win comfortably against Southampton. Um, 
Yeah, but Danny Ings is one that you have to be just so, so careful uh, about him. And that's the thing. If Mendy's fit, I'd be far more comfortable and feel far, uh, you know, safer um, than if we were to start with Kepa. Uh, So, yeah, those are are my thoughts on that. I mean, that seems pretty uh, self-explanatory with the Kepa-Mendy situation, but... Danny Ings is just on fire and he deservedly played for England and start for England the other day when they played against Wales and uh, put in a good performance, scored a goal, you know, he'll want to continue that when he plays against Chelsea. Yeah, for sure. I think um, tactically it should be interesting because Southampton obviously don't like to have very long chains of possession. They like to play direct. They like to implement their Keegan pressing of course so it should be it should be interesting there'll definitely be spaces there for exploiting I feel as if Timo Werner could be pretty big in this game if he's used right like you mentioned earlier so it's um they're not not too dissimilar a style maybe they like having the ball less but it's not too dissimilar a style for what Lampard likes to go for so that way it should be interesting I expect I expect some goals in this fixture. I feel as if we'll definitely concede one. It's just a it's a it's a question of how many we'll be able to score at this point. So I think um I'll go for a I'll go for a three one win actually to to err on the side of optimism. How about yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think no, I'm I'm sorry, but I have to do this. I have to do this. So normally, I'm very pessimistic, but if <laughs> if Monty starts, I'm that confident in us at the moment because it's clicking. I'd go with a two 0 win for us. Yeah, I think I like it. we we ha- just have to score early, and then we'll be crew in cruise control. So, yeah, as as much as I uh, hold him in high regard, Ralph Hasenhutl, you know, we still just have so much quality in our team right now, especially that everyone's back. Uh, maybe be different a few weeks ago that in my prediction, but now we just, we just have to win comfortably. I really think anything else will be quite surprising. Yeah. So basically we're going to lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, nah. um, we also have our first champions league fixture in the week. Well, in the same game week, so mm. to speak. Because we're playing Sevilla at Stamford Bridge on mm. the 20th of October. <laughs> How do you, do you think that's going to go? It, it's a toss-up for me. I don't know much about Sevilla at all, apart from the fact that they look half-decent under uh, Lopetegui. And, of course, yeah. there was the Europa League. They, they've, they've obviously drawn against Ronald Koeman's Barcelona in um, at the start of this season. So I, it's probably going to be a pretty tough game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Sevilla's a mixed bag. As long as you don't face them in the Europa League, I think you can win. Because <laughs> in the Champions League, they are good, but, you know, it's nothing that isn't beatable. But then again, we're still getting used to our new players and need some to gel. Sevilla's a big, um, a big hurdle in getting out of this group stage. But, but you it, know... The, if, the good point is, it's probably mm, the toughest fixture come to It first. is. It is. Let, uh, with all due respect to um, to Ren, to and, Ren and who who I can't even remember who Krasnodar. Else is 
Krasnodar, that's it. That <laughs> yeah. you know, the biggest challenge against Krasnodar will be the traveling issue. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we we have to get out of this group. It's just a question of whether or not we will be going out of this group as second or first. And of course, we want to go out as first because yeah. we saw last season what happens if we don't. If correct me if I'm wrong. Well, did we did we end up last season? It's, you know, it's, it's blurred a bit because it's been such a long time. We did. We did. We did. Well, okay, then whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, you know, you'd want to uh, get out of that group as yeah. the top of your table. And Sevilla will put up some stern opposition in that regard. So, uh, same here. I don't watch them. I don't really like to watch La Liga at all. So... Um, just have to wait and see if they play as well as get against us as they did against Manchester United, then we're gonna have quite a fight on our hands. Yep, definitely. I'm um I'm slightly less optimistic about that one, but but we we'll we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it's uh it, it's good to get the toughest game out of the way in either yeah. case. <laughs> so yes, um I suppose that brings us to the end of a very long first episode of the 2021 season so jimmy it's uh been a pleasure as always it absolutely has we say this often but we'll have to do this more regularly <laughs> yes we do we do hopefully uh we will be less swamped at this time next week or in the, in the few days after that and hopefully record one after the southampton game if not just after the Sevilla one so until then, stay safe, take care, and keep the blue flag flying high.